0: G'day Troy Dane from WP Elevation and welcome to episode 36 of the WP Elevation podcast. In this episode our feature guest is Peter Freeman from Woof Media in South Australia which is the state that I grew up in. Peter's company Woof Media is from a regional town called Port Lincoln has a population of about 15,000 people so he's not in a big capital city he's not in a big uh, metropolitan area and he still managed to build a successful WordPress web agency and is now branching out to Canada and is gonna open an office in Canada. We talk a lot in this episode about the importance of having a team in place and having processes and systems in place, which you all know by now, I'm very passionate about, and uh, how those systems and processes can act as scaffolding that you can hang on to as you grow your business. And he also talks about uh, some very simple ideas for overcoming your fear of public speaking and why public speaking is important for lead generation. I'm giving away a copy of Duct Tape Marketing by John Janch, Uh, this episode. It's a fantastic small business marketing book. I think it's one of the most important small business marketing books you should read. It's so practical, it's ridiculous. Uh, Stay with us and learn how you can enter the draw to win a copy of John Janch's uh, fantastic book, Duct Tape Marketing. All right, stay with us, let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast. Helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by Optin Monster, a fantastic plugin which allows you to very quickly and easily set up lead capture forms on your websites and websites of your clients. Uh, Visit wpelevation.com slash optinmonster to learn how you can use this plugin to start driving more revenue and more sales into your business. There's a video walkthrough of how the plugin works, and there are some email swipe files and proposal templates, and even an infographic that you can download and start using to sell lead capture services to your clients. There's no affiliate link, so we don't get paid for recommending Optin Monster. I'm just recommending it because I know that it can help you optimize your development processes so that you can deliver lead capture solutions to your clients and make a profit in the process. All right, elevation tip this week is uh, scaffolding. What does that mean? So putting some structure in place that makes you feel more confident in the business. One of the things I learned about presenting and doing keynotes or hosting a podcast, for example, is that if you have a Run sheet or a format that you follow, it gives you confidence. So when I do this podcast, uh, I'm never gonna look at the camera and be stuck for words because I know what I have to say next because I have the script in front of me on the computer just bullet pointed, this is what I need to talk about. So it's a structure, a system, a process if you like, that I put in place that gives me confidence to deliver what I need to deliver. Now that can be when you deliver websites, you might have a development process or structure that gives you confidence to deliver it in a timely fashion. Or it might be when you're running a a meeting with a client for the first time, what's the agenda that you go through to keep that meeting on track and to give you the confidence rather than just sitting there and making small talk. So get some structure and some processes in place in your business and think of it as scaffolding that you can use to hang on to as you grow the business. And there's lots of talk about this in this episode of the podcast. With Peter Freeman from Wolf Media, he comes from an IT background, uh, had some customer service experience, found himself uh, on the web uh, building WordPress themes, and has now moved more into a business development and strategy consulting role uh, at his company Wolf Media. And he's about to go to Canada and open an office in Canada. He comes from my home state of South Australia. As I said in the preamble, he's in a, a regional town called Port Lincoln, which has about fifteen thousand people. So he's not in a large Metropol, uh, metropolitan area or a capital city? How does he find clients? How does he build a successful business in, in a regional area like that? Well, let's go and learn. Without further ado, let's meet Peter Freeman. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very happy to have with me all the way from the state that I grew up in, South Australia. It's Peter Freeman from Wolf Media. Hey, Peter, how are you? Good, Troy. Great to know you're a ex-South Aussie. Yes. When are you, coming, when are you coming back? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm coming back at the end of uh, June to uh, run a couple of workshops. So I'll be in Adelaide for a weekend at the end of June. Fantastic. Yeah. Now you're based in um, you're based in Port Lincoln, is that right? We are just a short flight across
1: the water from Adelaide, but it's a little regional town on the coast. Colloquially, known know, it's the seafood capital
0: of the world. Seafood capital of the world. And so what's the size of Port Lincoln? Just for people to put this in some point, some, some kind of perspective, you're not in a big metropolitan capital city. Mm, you're in a regional town, yeah?
1: No, regional town. We're um, ballpark fourteen to 15,000 people, probably about double that over tourist season. But um, yeah, very much small, sleepy coastal town.
0: Right. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about how you've built a successful uh, web agency in a small regional town. Um we were talking off camera about our, our joint love for John Janch and his fabulous duct tape marketing uh, system and book. So I'm going to give away a copy of duct tape marketing this episode because I think it's probably the best business book you should read. Uh, so stick around for details on how you can enter the draw to win a copy of that. All right. Before we talk about thing, all things WordPress and South Australia and web, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, no doubt, fighter
1: pilot. I was an absolute plane nut as a kid and devoured pretty much every Biggs book known to man, I think, <laughs> back in the day. But um, yeah, I was always destined to become a fighter pilot somewhere on the planet until I found out my eyesight was terrible. So ah. uh, that kind of put, put paid to that. And then, yeah, I've been working with screens. I haven't really helped that over the last 10 years, 15 right. years.
0: <laughs> so did you, did you spend any time in the, in the uh, armed forces at all?
1: No, I looked at doing it uh, straight out of school and ended up um, heading into IT um, as a career path. But um, yeah, I've since done a few flying lessons and, and various things and it's still on the bucket list. I'm still going to get my pilot's license one
0: day. But Awesome. Awesome. I actually did work experience at the Edinburgh RAF base in South Australia. Oh, fantastic. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I did work experience in the air traffic control tower <laughs> uh, which was enough to put me off uh, forever.
1: <laughs> yeah, air, air traffic control. I think yeah, a bit too much pressure for me. I think. But.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so when did you discover the web? When did you discover the internet and think, hang on, there's something here, and I think I might want to explore this as a as a profession?
1: Well, it's really kind of interesting because I I didn't really have much to do with computers at all, other than a little bit at school and so talking early 90s, you know, Apple IIs and that sort of thing were around then and it was kind of just something in the design class and you didn't really think about it too much. Um, I guess the need for computer skills were really becoming more of a requirement sort of mid to late 90s when I was finishing up school and thinking about oh, what do I want to do career-wise. And then I landed a traineeship in IT at a local TAFE, which is um, sort of college level uh, for those outside of Australia. And basically started tinkering and discovered I kind of had a bit of a passion for the technology side of things. So that fell into a traineeship where I was essentially trainee sys- sysadmin network support and uh-huh. our campus was connected um, to other campuses and the internet and email and so forth. were becoming, even back then, late 90s, the bane of corporate life. So we were kind of introduced to, to the internet at that point and started dealing with um, students that were coming into classes and downloading all these wonderful new things called MP3s and and um, sort of back when Napster was big and, and that sort of thing. I'm probably showing my technology age but um, <laughs> But th- those were the sort of issues starting to come up. And I guess, it, yeah, it just became from that point, as it started to get out of the business world and more into that recreational, also music and um, online collaboration, that sort of thing. Um, I guess I saw the value of it from that point of view, but it was just a tool at that point. It wasn't really um, something I envisioned being the internet we see today, obviously.
0: Mm. And at what point did you realise that you could actually uh, build a business based on helping others get their message online? Was that kind of a natural thing for you? Was it an obvious thing straight away or did it take a bit of time?
1: It took a little bit of time. I, I was actually more in the IT um, side of things. I had a lot to do with open source, which I can touch on a bit, little bit later. Um, in the Linux space more than anything, more so than the, the software space. And business and marketing was something I sort of went into later, I guess. That's only been a recent development career-wise. Um, but the grounding I had back in those IT sysadmin days I was managing customer service, customer support teams, um, quite large corporate environments. That I guess progressed into the, you mentioned about sort of helping other people get online and get their message out there. That sort of value of helping people solve their problems I think was really embedded in that whole IT culture that I was part of and, and part of managing. And that progressed over time to getting a little bit tired of the, the corporate world and, and government world that we were dealing with and um, looked more outside and started doing a little bit more on the side. So it was more tinkering with websites. So I started building a platform for my wife who's a, um, who's a freelance writer and does quite a little bit online. She's got a couple of websites and kind of got into web um, probably only seriously Six seven years ago, I guess, um, and it was more of a sideline, more of a hobby at the time. And was
0: that was that Wolf Media, or were you before Wolf? So so Wolf Media was your so Wolf Media is the the company now. Was that the first kind of foray into online uh, web design and, and online marketing?
1: No, I actually I took some extended leave uh, from my then uh, full time position and started out on my own doing the whole freelance thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which, looking back, I made every mistake in the book, but um, <laughs> as you do, they're all they're all lessons. Um, there's no such thing as a failure, as they say. It's all lessons that you can learn. Yeah. Um, and then started working with this company called Wolf Design and Print. It was a local company, quite a successful design and and print agency, and they had just started moving into web. It was something, I guess, their clients were pushing them towards, but they didn't really have a, a great set of skills in that space, so. It kind of, long story short, basically we ended up teaming up and, and reforming as a new company um, only uh, more or less than two years ago now um, and relaunched as Woof Media, um, kept the same Woof tag, just um, dropped the design and print because we didn't want to be pigeonholed in that space um, given that digital is, is very much a big part of where we see ourselves going.
0: Mm. And uh, do, you, do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? The WordPress dashboard was still
1: back in the corporate days actually. We, um, my team was struggling. I had a distributed team right, right around South Australia and mainly in regional and we were struggling with collaboration and I actually looked at WordPress as a solution for essentially creating a little bit of a mini intranet for our team right. um, and that would have been probably around the version more well, one point X something. It'd be two thousand three, two thousand four, I reckon. So wow. yeah, I have to look up the WordPress timeline. It'd be around about that. Very very early days. Very, very much early just days. A, yeah. A publishing platform at that point, obviously. Um, all the good stuff came later.
0: <laughs> yeah. So May two thousand and three was when uh, it when it first went when the first version of WordPress uh, was published. So yeah, that would have been very very early days. Yeah, Certainly so within the first year or two of um, WordPress's life, anyway. And um, so it, so, it, so back then it wasn't, it, it, you didn't look at it and say, okay, well, this is something that we could use to build websites for other clients. It was quite, you've kind of done this full loop and come back mm. to using WordPress now for client work. Very much so, yeah. It was just one of those itches we had at the time and
1: thought, and we were very active in the open source space, um, servers were running Linux and, and various things. So we just naturally defaulted to, oh, this is fast growing um piece of software called WordPress, let's give it a whirl and mm. we've sort of seen the value of open source and how quickly it can grow so um, it was one yeah. of a few, um, Joomla actually I think it was um, Mambo back then, um, yeah. there was a couple of others that we, we looked at at the time but yeah, that, that was my first experience with WordPress and we didn't end up using it, we ended up um, using a wiki, a um, piece of open source wiki software at the time um, as a preference but
0: but yeah, it's something I then kept an eye on from there on. Mm. How do you describe what you do in one sentence today? When someone meets you for the first time, what's the elevator pitch, so to speak?
1: Well, that's changed drastically in the last two years. Um, <laughs> right now, and it probably comes back to the core of what we do, and it's really about growing businesses. Like I, I like to see us as the marketing extension of a business. So we really we're all about growing businesses through smart marketing, um, mm-hmm. and that includes offline as well. We're not purely digital. It's it's a matter of looking at um, offline digital and any other marketing um, collateral that you have to deliver growth in your business. I mean, that's the bottom line. We're, we're all about growing your business.
0: Great. Um, does it, do you think, um, it's interesting, I've never heard anyone articulate it like that before, that what you do is you, you, you know, you help grow businesses do you think that helps you stay more accountable and more kind of performance based because if a if a company engages you and you start working together and after 12 months they're like, "Well, you know, Peter, we're not seeing any growth here." Mm-hmm. Does that frighten you that you you kind of say we help you grow your business? Do you kind of then think, "Well, okay, we better get our skates on and actually deliver mm. here because we've promised this thing." And does that does it, kind of, does it kind of make you nervous having a very specific value proposition?
1: It does or it doesn't. I mean, I guess I'm is one for a challenge. So um, setting yourself up, I guess, like that is um, a good way to get you motivated to, to make it happen. Um, but one of the challenges, I think, for most of our clients, and we typically deal in the small to medium business space, we've got a couple of larger clients, but generally, there's so much around in terms of marketing. You could be doing social media, you could be doing web, you could be doing email marketing. There's so many things you could be doing. Um, which is why we come back all the time to strategy, so why are you doing this thing and and what's hanging all? The, or what's connecting all of these tools and these methods of marketing at the end of the day. So in a lot of cases, we're actually just peeling back all those layers that people have out there right now and starting off from scratch and saying, well, who is that ideal customer? To go back to John Jansh, it's basically who's that ideal customer um, that you're trying to speak to and and how can we set your marketing up to talk to that person and then measure the results in terms of is it doing – better than what you're doing now in trying to talk to everyone rather than that specific customer group that you know you want to work with but it's just trying to make your marketing line up with
0: that. And I would hazard a guess that most small to medium sized organisations that you start working with probably haven't got an ideal customer avatar profile built and they probably don't have much of a strategy, they're just kind of swimming in tactics but there's not much holding it together.
1: Correct. Yeah, we have a bit of an in-joke in the office, really. People come in wanting a website and they go out pretty much knowing that's not just what they need. (laughs) They they come in and we brainwash them and and they sort of realize that maybe there's a little bit more to this marketing thing than than just building a website.
0: We'll come back and talk more about ideal customers uh, in a little while. Um, What do you spend most of your time actually doing day-to-day in the business? Are you on the tools? Are you kind of putting WordPress things together or are you doing more client development work or sales? What's your role?
1: More and more. So two two years ago, I was much much more on the tools, um, building themes, um, working with the design side of things. Now, building up much bigger team to handle a lot of that. So I spend more of my time on the strategy side of things. So working with clients, identifying requirements, project management with existing projects, and just making sure we're we're hitting those timelines and targets with with each of our projects. Um, Little bit of tools here and there. I have still got that sort of itch to scratch in the background there somewhere. Just got to make sure I'm still aware of what's going on. But
0: <laughs> oh, that was my next question. Have you found it hard to get off the tools? Because everyone I speak to who gets off the tools and gets into the kind of strategy in biz dev, they they usually have a couple of little hobbies or a couple of little sandboxes <laughs> that they play because they just still love the tools.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there's certainly certainly that to it. Um, it's it's not easy, on that. and coming from a technical background. Um, definitely I've got a love for the technology so it is hard to step away but it's just constantly reminding yourself about well where is the value that I can provide with the business it's not doing the essentially the low value coding work which is um and at the end of the day, I spend so little time with it now that I'm not the best person to be doing that anyway. So yeah. I'm pretty rusty. Don't, um, don't ask me to build you a now. It's, yeah. um, I, I can give you half a dozen people that will do a way better job than I will.
0: So you, you, you touched on something really interesting here, something that I'm very passionate about as well, is working out where you add the most value to the business and then just focusing mm-hmm. on that. How did you realize that um, you were more valuable consulting with clients on strategy than you were cutting CSS code? I think it's just a realistic assessment of
1: what the total value of a project is versus the total value of a task. In, in simple dollar terms, I mean, I can do the $50 an hour work in, in writing code, or you can be talking the $10,000, $15,000, whatever value, five to 10 um, project that you're dealing with. And if you can be churning two, three, four of those through on a regular basis, As long as you've got those systems there to support it, uh, which is another whole discussion on its own, but as long as you've got those systems to deliver that, then it's more important to understand if you've got those skills in terms of understanding the strategy, understanding the marketing and then with my customer service background, I also, I guess, have a knack of translating customer speak into tech speak and vice versa. So, I'm kind of that middle guy that can do all the translation work and, and clients get it and then... My design and dev team get it and generally they don't normally meet because normally when you, you put client and dev together, it's just a translation that never happens. So <laughs> generally try and be the guy in the middle that says, well, yeah, dev guys talking code, we'll just translate it into plain English and, and requirements and at the end of the day, what that means as a result for your business, which is what I'm
0: all about. This is really interesting that you mentioned this because I see this more and more. Um, guys, guys and girls who start out as developers so they might you know they might not be you know hardcore programmers but they know php and css and they know how to pull themes together and they know how to you know write their own functions and they you know know how to write their own plugins but they're also really good with customers and they're really good with people and they find themselves in this position where they get they feel trapped on the tools and i think and this is kind of what i call the consultant is someone who can sit between the client and the technician and basically translate here's the problem, we're designing a solution, give the technical brief to the technician and then present that back to the client and you're constantly kind of putting your, your different hats on depending on who you're communicating to and I think that's a real skill in itself.
1: Oh, no doubt. And, and coming, I, I guess coming from a bigger corporate background and being on the client side and dealing with external companies and often certainly in the web space and some of the larger projects I was involved with, you're dealing with, pick any brand you like I guess but um, they've got a sales team and then they've got their major software development arm and so forth and you never talk to the software development guys you're always talking to their marketing guy who comes along and sells you all the sizzle and says yeah we've got this wonderful system and then of course you know full well they're running off to their dev team and saying well I've just promised all this stuff can you build it (laughs) But, but in that sort of environment I guess translating that to the smaller Business world, yes. you typically in a sort of freelance small business agency model. You typically wear all those hats yourself. But I think understanding where each of those roles is most effective is is one of the skills. And, and if you've got the skills to to I guess play on both sides of that fence, mm. I think like you say that I think there's some real value there.
0: Mm. Uh, I think it puts you in a very unique um, situation, and I don't think the, the value that a good consultant adds to an agency should be underestimated. Mm. What's the one thing that keeps you awake at night?
1: Uh, my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two two-year-old twins, so uh, say no more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, very little actually. My wife always complains that I'm not one of those ones that gets kept awake by anything. I'd, well, I'm one of those people that writes everything down out of my head at the end of the day and then yeah, sleep, sleep like a baby when I can. <laughs> right.
0: So is there, are you a advocate of the David Allen getting things done kind of methodology where you kind of dump everything out of your head at the end of the day so you park it somewhere so you can rest mm. easy?
1: Absolutely. It's, I did try following the whole GTD system once and never quite got there, but that's one thing that did stick was yep. writing things down or in these days it usually goes into Evernote. But, um, right. It's one of those things I find very valuable and just on a personal productivity level, just dump it out of your head and hopefully don't think about it again until the next day.
0: So here's the he's – the, okay, help, help me solve this problem. Here's the problem I have with that, right, is I – because you know i saw i mean i use everything but i've used evernote before and we use asana a lot for project management in-house mm. now but if i think i've got an idea i'm not sure that where i park it like if I, it's a, you know quarter past 11 at night i go i'm going to park this idea somewhere i'm not certain that i'm going to park it somewhere where i remember where i've put it so therefore, <laughs> i'm just going to park it somewhere and three months later i go oh i was meant to do that thing or three yeah. weeks later or a client calls up and says hey Where's the thing you promised? And I go, oh, damn, where did I park that? So how do you make sure that you park something somewhere, which means that tomorrow morning it's where you need it to be and you can address it when you're nice and fresh and bright? I kind of have a, I guess, a working file in Evernote for
1: each week. So typically that's my major things I want to work on for that week, whether it's projects, et cetera. Um, We're just in the process of actually adopting a CRM and we're kind of in this transition phase With the old part of the business, Mm. which was a lot of paper-based stuff, we've got a lot of stuff electronic and then gradually moving everything to a more formal CRM and project-based system. So um, at the moment, what works for me is just running a a standard uh, note file in Evernote and um, I just use the highlighter for the urgent stuff that I want to flag and then quite often those ideas, like you said, you you have that sort of brainwave at 11 o'clock at night or whatever, you drop it in there and typically I end up with this, Ever increasing list down the bottom, which um, a lot of cases not much happens with. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. things happen, but
0: yeah, yeah, the someday maybe list, as as David Allen calls it. That, uh, that's it. Added curiosity, just because I suffer massive shiny object syndrome and <laughs> I have a lizard brain that I cannot control. Uh, what's the CRM that you're migrating to? Can you uh, can you share? Yeah, that information?
1: we're, we're um, using Work etc, which oh, is yes. Um, yes. We've trialled quite a few, and I guess. So many of them did really well at project management or did really well at um, the CRM side of it but Work has claim to fame is it's kind of everything you ever need to run your business and so far in the we with early stages of adoption but so far it's proving to be quite effective. Certainly in terms of managing the CRM side of things, it's mm. very good and it integrates with your email system um, with Google Apps which we use. Right. Um, and it's um, it is proving quite effective to keep track of all of those conversations and notes against customers that traditionally would have been on sticky notes and random pieces of paper.
0: Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you very much. I just lost my afternoon. I know what I'm doing on uh, this call. Um, okay. So, um, what do you do when you're not working? How do you stay balanced? How do you keep your head together? And I must disclaim this. Uh, every time I've asked this. Question of someone on the podcast: If they have kids, they usually look at me and say, "You don't have kids, do you?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no. If you had kids, you wouldn't ask that question. <laughs>
1: That's it. Well, I have four of them, so uh, wow. Need to say more, yeah. But um, and and the, yeah, the young twins, are a big part of it. But wow. they're actually in Canada at the moment. I'm heading over there next week to yeah. Huh. Back we're in the process of relocating. That's um, all part of the the next evolutionary stage of Wolf Media and, wow. and my personal life. But
0: wow, fantastic. But,
1: yeah, looking forward to a North American summer. I'll skip the Aussie winter and yeah, do the Canadian, Canadian nice. summer, by the lake. That's Right. Where it's at. So is that a permanent move to Canada? It is, although I'll be jet-setting back and forth um, a few times a year potentially uh, with the business side of things and um, getting a little bit more into the education side as well with workshops and yep. seminars and that sort of thing to try and cram all of our education into one group.
0: Fantastic. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um so, uh, so the family life and, and the, the kids are, are what keep you absolutely balanced and sane. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing about Wolf Media right now, what would it be? Ideally, fast
1: forward a few months and we're fully implemented with Work, etc., and everything's automated. And um, because our team's quite distributed now and becoming more distributed with the overseas connection, um, if we could wave the magic wand, get all of that in place, and Sit back on the beach and just let everything run, but no, that's, that's that's the utopian goal. Down, yeah, another twenty years, I think. But yeah, okay, but idea that was- that, yeah. Systems systems is um, definitely something I'd love to fix overnight without having to do the work. Yeah.
0: Now let's talk a little bit more about Wolf Media and where. So you guys are based in a regional town. Um, so you you know, you, I'm I'm curious as to how you've built this business because you you know you don't if, if you're based in a capital city or a major metropolitan area you've generally got access to a lot more clients a lot more yes. networking events a lot more stuff going on so first things first talk to me about your ideal customer and because we had this chat uh pre-interview why do you think having an ideal customer is important for any business including your own well i
1: think if you're not if you're not clear on who you want to work with at the end of the day i mean it's Yeah, it's labelled ideal customer but at the end of the day we've all got people we want to work with, clients we want to work with, they're the ones that actually appreciate what you do, they've got the budget to invest in the value you're providing as well obviously Um, I think both those things are really important. But the next stage I guess which is a great stage in terms of the the life cycle of a customer that John Janch points out in his duct tape marketing book is the advocacy and the referral stage of People enjoying the value that you provided that much that you, they're actively doing your marketing for you essentially, um, and I think that's an area. And when I joined Wolf Media and we teamed up and we we rebranded as <coughs> excuse me as Wolf Media, um, the business was already very well established in a design and print sense with a very large tourism client base. So my business partner Naomi is uh, she's got twenty odd years experience in tourism on various boards and committees and so forth. And our office manager is also a similar number of years experience in tourism. So naturally, we sort of gravitate towards tourism clients because we understand that market. And that existing client base, I guess, bringing the digital on board because that's absolutely critical in tourism these days, um, I guess it's been a natural fit in growing into the digital space. Um, so we've probably naturally sought our ideal customer is, is being in the tourism space but more recently we've um, teamed up with some seafood industry people, with our location being Seafood Capital of Australia basically. Um, we've had a bit of a passion of seeing them go a little bit more digital with their marketing. Traditionally, it's been a, an offline traditional um, industry so we're kicking a few goals in that space now and uh, working with the regional development board on on a few projects there as well. So. So I guess it's an established client base that we've been able to take in a different direction or a direction that we've seen they've needed to go and they've also at the same time understood that they've needed to go in that direction as well. So it's been a a happy fit in that respect.
0: And, you know, one of the questions I get asked all the time when people, when we're talking, having this conversation about ideal clients or ideal profile, ideal customers, one of the uh, the questions I get is, well, does that mean you say no to anyone who's not your ideal (laughs) customer? Now, I mean, clearly, you don't. If someone walks into your business and says, hey, we need a full digital marketing strategy, and you say, mm-hmm. well, you're not in the tourism industry, sorry, we can't help you?
1: No, not at all. Um, we definitely go down the path with them. Um, and in a lot of cases, and we've had some instances with um, schools recently, we've uh, launched a few school websites. We've gone down a very similar path with developing a digital strategy for them and implementing various forms of online marketing, um, web, email and social media particularly. So yeah, it's, it's definitely not a case of um, we have this conversation with our clients um, in terms of developing their strategies as well. Is It's not a case of shutting down your doors to everyone that doesn't meet your ideal client profile. It's more a case of making sure the messaging you send out with your marketing is actually designed to attract type of client and over time as your marketing becomes more effective it's a case of you'll probably be attracting more of those clients which certainly in our case that's what we've found we've, uh we've gone from maybe five years ago being a predominantly local um, clientele so most of our clients came from a geographical catchment area um, on the peninsula where we are To now we've got a large number of clients around Adelaide and and some coming from interstate as well. So as we've sort of put ourselves out there on the type of projects we've been doing and and marketing through social media and so forth, that in turn has attracted um, more of our, I guess, your ideal client for us.
0: And the the interesting point you just touched on is that uh, knowing your ideal client makes it easier to communicate with them, right? Correct. Yeah,
1: and I guess that's something. Probably in the last twelve months, I've really noticed that the new clients that are coming along, we we don't necessarily have to educate them as much because they're coming. In terms of education, I'm talking about um, educating them on the need for marketing and, and creating a digital strategy. Like we're, we're getting people coming through now that are actually asking for that up front because they see the value in doing it. So there's a lot of those initial conversations, which over the course of the number of clients are quite inefficient and ineffective and dead time essentially, because you're often not charging for that time. So if, if you're minimizing the need to have all those early stage conversations with clients to develop proposals and so forth, that, that's good for your, your bottom line as well.
0: Uh, it's <laughs> We're going to talk about this more in the elevation round, but uh, you know, ha, ha, just quickly, how do you just 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 touch on that point again? How do you stop people? How do you stop just... Having people pick your brain and <laughs> and give you get like you give them all of your best knowledge for like forty minutes on the phone and they say oh thanks for that Peter you're a nice guy well you know we'll see you in the soup and you go hang on a second I just give you a <laughs> yeah, bill for it. you know and
1: yeah, now you, I've got to get back to the paying customers
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly how do you nip that in the bud like do you have a qualification process that goes on when people come in to the organisation to make sure that they're not you know tire kicking so to speak.
1: Yeah, increasingly we're working on that it's not a, a done thing at the moment in terms of i'm happy with where it's at we still get the, the tire kickers and in a, in a smaller regional town as well um we place a pretty significant value on personal relationships as well and and often some relationships while they might not be a client relationship they'll actually know someone that we're about to work with or, or we'll be working with so we do spend a fair bit of time on building relationships and having the coffee and all the rest of it. So I do probably more than I should give away a bit of uh, bit of information but I'm, in terms of non-charged um, information. But I'm also a big believer in giving enough out there that you'll get something back later as well. So I, I tend not to have a, a closed shop when it comes to um, no, you can't talk to me unless you're, you're signing a check on the way in sort of thing. I don't, um, don't sure. tend to operate by that at the moment.
0: Um, You you touched on um, before we spoke a little bit, I think it was off camera we spoke a little bit about workshops and uh, so do you speak at workshops or at events as a positioning tool or do you just attend those events looking for potential clients and and partners?
1: A little bit of both and recently I spoke at the State Tourism Industry Conference last year Um, I think it was on mobile websites or the need for them and some of the things to look out for so um, and this year I was invited back um, but I focused a lot more on branding and strategy so I guess for me the, the value in doing that as much as I don't see myself necessarily as a public speaker but the, the value in doing that I guess it puts you in front of customers or potential customers in an environment in this case tourism is in our ideal client space and you're getting to talk to 80 or 100 people all at once. So. I guess that if you if you think about the cost of doing that on a one on one one basis it's a, a pretty low low form of or low cost form of marketing really to get yourself out there um, so it's something I see myself doing more and more of, and I think it's something every business owner or anyone in a space where they are being perceived as an expert should definitely consider it um, obviously what you're doing with the podcasting and and this sort of environment where you're Actively putting yourself out there. I mean, I think that's there's a, a lot of value in doing that. As hard as it is for for a lot of particularly developer types, I mean, generally developers are quite happy just sitting in the cave with the with the screen. But
0: so uh, how, so this is this is really interesting. How have you? Because you don't consider yourself a public speaker. You come from an IT background, so you you're very technical. Mm-hmm. You do have a bit of customer service experience as well. But how have you overcome that fear of public speaking? To like have you is there anything specific you've done to actually put yourself out there and do it because I, I like i agree i think speaking and educating people if you can teach people something doing that in a group environment is like putting lead generation on steroids mm. rather than doing it one on so, one but not everyone has a natural i mean i love it i just love getting up on stage and talking to hundreds of people i just you know i'm a bit of a, a kind of um, i'm hungry for that kind of performance and that audience i love it but a lot of people are really uncomfortable with it so how yeah. have you overcome that fear to actually put yourself on stage and put yourself in in the in the limelight I think over time as I
1: and I came from yeah the sort of junior tech sort of working your way up the ranks and I think the more time I spent in management so I was in a position where I had to lead a lot more and manage a team that sort of just by necessity involved giving the odd presentation here and there small group sort of thing so I think over time my comfort level with being in front of people um, sort of increased a little bit and, and now I mean it's, it's just a case of preparation I think I'm um, a little bit um, OCD with my presentations and even last week I mean I put so many hours into making sure I was happy with it but I still didn't feel prepared and that sort of thing so but I think there's that, um, that aspect of just knowing you need to do it as well and, and just being willing to put yourself out there and maybe risk not having a safety net and, and just make it happen.
0: Does that, does the, does making sure, um, making sure your presentations are good, does that give, does that make you feel like, does that give you more confidence when you're, when you're on stage speaking that there's a good presentation that's going to back up what you're saying? Yeah, no doubt. And I think knowing your topic as well, I mean, I've,
1: I've sat in front of presenters who quite obviously don't know their topic and haven't prepared so um, I think anyone who's been to any conference ever has probably got a bit of a short list of those guys but yep um, and I don't I guess I don't want to be one of those people so I mean that's where the preparation comes into it but also knowing your topic I mean I was talking about branding and marketing last week I mean it's it's what we do so it's something I'm quite comfortable just to sit down and talk to anyone about Um, so the fact that you're just standing up in front of 80 or 100 people it's not that big a difference really other than you have to do all the talking. There's not as much back and forth like this.
0: And have you uh, have you studied any kind of presentation styles or tips to make sure your presentations are engaging and people aren't falling asleep? I have actually. I've had people fall asleep in presentations before, oh, no. <laughs> and it just happens. Like I get that, yeah. but I, I hate it when people fall asleep in my presentation. I just <laughs> well, want like to go that, and smack that, them on the head.
1: Yeah. No. I um. I always being a we're a Mac shop in terms of. Uh, Um, technology stacks so uh, Steve Jobs definitely Uh one of the guys I guess I I look at in terms of even the way he constructs his slides, simple Mm. don't put everything on your slide sort of style use images and and that sort of thing So, um, and I've got some great designers on my team so they tend to keep me on track in terms of not cluttering up slides and (laughs) bringing too much tech into the slides that sort of thing So, but I think having less on your slides forces you to Tell the story or t- speak about your topic rather than just speaking to a slide. Um, that's probably the probably one piece of advice I'd give anyone putting a presentation together: is less less on the slides, more out of your mouth,
0: really. Yeah, there's a um, there's a great uh, I think it's a, a a PDF by Seth Godin called "Death by PowerPoint," um, <laughs> and I'm going to put that link in the show notes because it's fantastic. Mm. It c- completely changed the way I put my keynotes together once I read that. Um, so this kind of feels like, like what I'm hearing here is that the – and it's something I want to talk about is processes and systems in your business because I've kind of realized – in fact, I shot a little video yesterday for a, um, a master class we're running here in Melbourne on the 2nd of July and I was talking to Dave who I shot the video with about how important it is to have processes in the business and I said to him – for the first time, I articulate it in this way but it really resonated with me is that having systems and processes in the business – feels like you've got scaffolding around mm-hmm. you so that you can hang on to it and you can climb up and 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 kind of ha- help the business grow up with you, knowing that you 've got some scaffolding to support you as you climb up the mountain is and having a good presentation when you're on stage feels like the same kind of mm. thing it's like that security That's blanket right. there to to support you so how how much time do you spend and obviously systems and processes are important to you. How do you know like how do you know when something when a system or a process is not working and you need to spend some time on it
1: well I think for me because and this is so timely in terms of where we're at because we're in the process of implementing a lot of systems and documenting how we do things um, because we're we're in a phase at the moment where we are growing and we need that scaffolding in place because our capacity is or our capacity to take on new work is limited by our systems essentially because we, we can't quickly expand them um until we build them so the value i think is having that confidence that okay yes we can take on this new project and it's going to mean x in terms of our capacity because we've spent the time building those systems and i think when you find out that they're not working and we've probably tripped over that a little bit in the last 12 months as we've grown is you start hitting some of those capacity walls and you start Mm -hmm. letting down clients on deadlines and, and things like that and what you thought was going to be a a two-week project turns into a six-week project and clashes with the next three that you've signed up for already and, yeah, anyone that's uh, working in a web agency probably (laughs) know and experienced that uh, many times before. But so what, what we're doing, I guess, is we're bringing more people in in terms of human resources is making sure that we can build those systems so that regardless of who's operating them, Mm. We have the same outcome and and I'm not a big, coming from a technical management background and managing technicians, I'm not a big fan of making sure everyone does everything exactly the same way all the way through the process. I'm more focused on making sure the outcome is the same. So if somebody uses a different shortcut to get to the same result, that's no big deal. It's just saying, well... Here's where we want to go. Here's the destination. Yep. Here's some guidelines to get there. Yep. Be be prescriptive where it matters, mm. um, whether it's documentation or um, delivery of um, a theme in a certain way to a client or, or whatever. But some things, obviously, you need some more specific. This is not negotiable, but other things in terms of the journey are, are less important. Um, don't sweat the small stuff, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. So here's the outcome. Here are the best practices. Mm. And you know you find your own way there, adhering to best practices and kind of the way that we do things here. Yeah, and we're we're very much a case of, and I certainly believe in trusting
1: the people you work with. And I mean, if you're employing staff or engaging contractors or, or whatever, that you, you can't trust, and you probably you've got more problems than your systems. So, mm. um, one of the big things, I guess, is being able to invest in a team that is, in my case, I'm investing in people that have a much better skill set than I do. So to me, they're the best people to create and improve the systems rather than me. Um, if I'm telling someone how to code a theme and it's not HTML5 based or whatever, I mean, my skill set's not there anymore so they're better off telling me well what's the best way to, to yeah. make this happen and I can just take care of the outcome in terms of yeah. this is this is client friendly and, and we're happy to deliver it that way.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's do the elevation round. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants. So if you wanna build a real business as a WordPress consultant, check out WP Elevation. And in this round, I'm gonna ask Peter a series of quick questions, and you're gonna give me some quick answers off the top of your head. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant absolutely needs to know?
1: Don't call yourself a freelancer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's Um, very good advice.
1: How to devalue your proposition before you even start.
0: Yep, that's great. Uh, What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Build partnerships. That's Um, Strategic
1: partnerships in areas where you don't necessarily have strengths or if this counts as quick, um, find the people that have the clients that you are looking for which... Goes back to our whole discussion around yep. ideal clients. If you know your clients, then you can find. In our case, we've got several consultants. We have, um, or marketing consultants. We have strategic relationships with um, yep. who fill that gap, in, and they can refer clients on, and we can do the same thing. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship.
0: Yep. Uh, what's the? How do you stop competing on price? You just stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's one lesson. One lesson I learned early on. I think trying to. Um, figure out, well, it's going to cost X in number of hours to build something and then just tack a margin on top and that's the price. Um, Absolute worst way to do pricing. Mm. Um, And that's where my place is now. It's trying to understand the actual value for a client and basing price on that. So, And that gets you into the discussion around why strategy is important, why return on investment is an important discussion, what that means in actual numbers, not just talking about ROI because everyone talks about it. Yep. so I think yeah, really understanding the value of what you're doing. It might cost you ten dollars, but the value to the customer might be a thousand. So, mm. if they're willing to pay a thousand and invest in it, and it kicks massive goals for their business, then why are you charging twenty bucks? <laughs> because it costs you ten dollars. It's but it's being confident to be able to confident enough in what you're providing to be able to have that conversation.
0: I guess. Yep, uh, I love it. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals? Probably answer that the same way I just answered the,
1: the last one, I think. Really understanding the value to the customer. So not talking about features. Yeah. Uh, yes. Forget about widgets and features and X plug in and um, Nobody cares about that stuff, honestly. Only techies. Yeah. I might care, but the customer doesn't.
0: <laughs> and you know what I think? I see this happen all the time. I see... Technical people put features into proposals because, they, because that's what they're comfortable talking about. They, don't, yes. they haven't worked out what the benefits are yet. They haven't worked out what the value proposition is yet. So the only thing they're comfortable talking about is, oh, we're going to use you know, this plugin to do this and this plugin to do this and this widget to do this. And you're right. The customer doesn't care. The customer just right. wants an outcome and they just want to know what it means to their business.
1: Right.
0: Dead right. right. Uh, I think I know the answer to this question or maybe it's too early. Favorite tool or system for CRM?
1: Well, at the moment, it's work, etc. cetera. But <laughs> hopefully that won't change. Um, their support's been good, I have to say.
0: Excellent. That's good to know. Uh, what's the best way to keep a project and a client on track?
1: Communication. Early, often, always, even if it's to give them the bad news that things are delayed, but don't put it off. Just communicate.
0: Uh, and uh, any ideas for getting referrals from existing clients? Oh, it's cliched, I suppose. Over,
1: under promise and over deliver. Uh, Very cliched, but make it easy for them to refer you. Like if if there are problems on the way through, and I haven't had too many projects where we haven't had a few hiccups. um, Make sure you resolve them well, and probably go over and above, so you don't leave any any bad taste, any reason for them not to refer you.
0: Yeah. Uh, Someone said recently it's really obvious the best way to get referrals is just to do awesome work and be awesome. That's it. (laughs) Uh, Finally, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? I think really knowing your value. Uh,
1: Knowing what you're able to contribute to your ideal customer and at the end of the day, people will do business with people. They don't do business with businesses. So a lot of the reason people do business with Wolf Media is because of the relationship we've built up on a personal level as well as a client level. So I think differentiate yourself by being a little bit more yourself. Be human. I guess that was one of my slides actually last week in my presentation. Business is all about being human and I think the more we're we're ourselves, I think that helps differentiate the people we we may or may not want to work with as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks for getting us through the elevation round. Uh, What's the future for Wolf Media? You guys are um relocating to canada so you've got to hook up with uh jason vance from bubble up marketing who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago they're based in edmonton i don't know if if you haven't already connected with him reach out because he's knocking it out of the park they're doing some great work over there um what's the future for wolf media over the next 12 months next 12 months is
1: really establishing ourselves to grow so it's building a scaffolding in place systems um remote collaboration tools. So our, our office will probably or our team will rarely get together in the same space again, um, maybe two, three times a year. So it's building those collaboration tools. So We use Google Hangouts, Skype, um, obviously the online collaboration, Google Apps. It's about having those tools in place, everyone onboarded to be able to use them effectively in the way we, we do business, I guess. So we're we're growing in terms of our Australian side but, yeah, my aim is to head over to Canada and essentially start up a branch office in Canada essentially and get involved in the business community over there and just go and find ways we can add value to Canadian clients as well.
0: Great, international company. Uh, All right, the competition details, I'm giving away a copy of John Janch's fantastic book, Duct Tape Marketing, and we were talking off camera about um, clients who don't understand the value of a strategy, they think you can just throw up a website and then people will come. So what we wanna know is, leave your comments under the video and tell us the best thing you've ever done to help clients understand that a website is just part of a strategy and as a standalone thing, it's probably not going to achieve much. Leave your comments under the video, what's the number one thing you've done to educate your clients about the overall strategy and I'll get Peter to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Sound good, Peter? Sounds awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. Uh, just before we wrap up, what's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business?
1: I think focus on building a team of really good people who are really good people but also have skills that you don't necessarily major in. So fill in all the weaknesses basically with great people to provide an overall solution, which is, is something we try to do, I try to do myself. Uh, we've got a fantastic team, both of staff and external strategic partners in, in areas we just don't do well in.
0: Yeah, great advice. Uh, and where can people reach out and say thanks? Email's fine,
1: uh, LinkedIn or Twitter probably. is be the best too if you want to uh, connect on either of those. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? Just Peter Freeman, managed to get that back off Twitter. It wasn't used for a couple of years and got it back. Nice one.
0: I'll stick that in the show notes. Finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why?
1: Well, probably a little bit outside the square, but the guy who keynoted uh, Social Media Marketing World in San Diego, a guy called Marcus Sheridan. If you can't get him, follow him. Um, He's got some amazing content, an amazing story around how he built his uh, pool business, through content marketing online but he's now uh, primarily a business consultant speaking, um, teaching people how to do the same thing. But his insights on what we actually provide to clients, getting rid of all the buzzwords around content marketing and social media and everything else and breaking it down into the basics of listening, helping, teaching um, and providing actual value. Mm. to customers I think is advice that's suitable to any business really
0: All right, Marcus Sheridan I'm coming to get you courtesy of Peter Freeman so keep your eyes on your inbox. Peter thank you so much for spending some time with us on the podcast I really appreciate it and uh, I wish you all the best for the future and the transition to Canada and uh, maybe we'll run into each other in Adelaide and we can have a pint of Coopers one day. I was going to say yeah
1: make good beer in South Australia absolutely
0: (laughs) Awesome thanks very much for your time Peter much appreciated you're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Peter Freeman as much as I enjoyed making it. There's lots of gold, lots of nuggets, lots of good stuff to learn in that episode. Of course, this episode is brought to you by Optin Monster. Uh, check out how this plugin can optimize your development processes and allow you to deliver lead capture solutions to your clients and how you can use that to drive more sales and more revenue into your consulting business. Check it out at wpelevation.com/slash opt-in monster. And again, no affiliate link. We're not getting paid to recommend this. We just recommend it because we know that it's going to help you add revenue and add sales and win more clients. Uh, Of course, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode at wpelevation.com slash subscribe. And if you do subscribe, you'll instantly get access to a free content creation webinar. Uh, You can visit all of the show notes uh, related to this episode at wpelevation.com slash peterfreeman. That's all one word, no spaces, no hyphens, all lowercase. You know how it works by now. And remember to leave your comments underneath the video to enter the competition. Tell us the number one thing you have done to educate your clients about online strategy and that a website is not a, a complete strategy, it's just part of a strategy. How have you educated your clients to understand the value in online strategy? Leave your comments under the video and one lucky Uh, viewer will win a copy of Duct Tape Marketing by John Janch. Next week on the WP Elevation podcast, I'm interviewing Simon Dixon from Code for the People. They are one of only two European WordPress agencies to be accredited a VIP partner by Automatic. Of course, the other one is uh, our good friends uh, Tom and Noel at Human Made. Code for the People have the Rolling Stones and Riverdance as clients. How do you work with clients of that calibre How do you build an agency that gets uh, the tick of approval from Automatic? Well, you'll have to watch the episode next week for my interview with Simon Dixon to learn all about it. Until next time, go elevate.